Shabbat Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Line and Lamb Ministries, and thank you for joining us once again for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai In all the ways that you might be watching on Facebook Live, our mobile app, or any one of our television apps, we thank you for making us a part of your Sabbath routine. Right now here at Lion and Lamb Ministries, we are running an event asset fundraiser. If you go to llgive.com, you can see all of the details of that. What we are doing is we're endeavoring to purchase assets that help us to run our events, particularly the Feast of Tabernacles, um, so that we can continue to be good stewards of the Lord's resources. In the past, we have rented uh, a lot of equipment, whether that's uh, tents or lighting equipment, sound equipment, um, and various things to run uh, the Feast of tabernacles um, because we are wanting to be better stewards of the Lord's resources if we purchase those assets we don't have to continue to rent them um, so if the Lord would stir in your heart to make a donation toward that you can do so at llgive.com and uh, you can make a donation there and we greatly appreciate that as we continue to serve the brethren and to hold these events uh, that minister to the brethren each and every year as we celebrate the appointed times together um, so we thank you for your donations to Toward that, and we look forward to seeing all the brethren joining us for the Feast of Tabernacles. Registration for that is still open. If you go to tabernaclesevent.com, you can register your family there. Um, you can uh, join us for all the great times of worship, teaching, kids' programs, youth programs, fun for the whole family, and we hope to see everybody in October for the Feast of Tabernacles. Also, registration is still open for Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp that will be held August 2nd through the 7th. Um, with everything going on in the world, we've extended the registration deadline to July 1st, and we're still uh, trying anybody that wants to be a part of that. We ask that you would register uh, your youth. Also, um, we are still in need of some adult staff. If you would, contact the ministry if you're interested in being a part of that. And uh, we look forward to the amazing time, once again, the life-changing experience that our youth camp provides, not only for the youth, but the staff as well. And uh, so if you're interested or if the Lord would in your heart to be a part of that, please contact us. And we are looking forward to another great event uh, of Camp Yeshua. You can go to CampYeshua.com for all of the information there. And we look forward to uh, all the youth that will come from all over and pray that we have another wonderful, life-changing event uh, for everyone who is a part of it. Now, let us set apart this week from, the rest, from Sabbath with the Kiddush and the Family Blessings. Shabbat Shalom and Hag Sameach to you. Please join with our family as we usher in the Sabbath. Blessing over the cup. 
Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Olam, Borei Pri HaGahafen, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Olam, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Husbands, now let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my wonderful wife that you have given to me. I thank you, Lord, for her, and for I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing. Bless her as she sees about the ways of the household, as she takes care of the children and educates them. And Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless her on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michumocha. Micha mocha, ba'elim Adonai. Micha mocha, nedahar b'chodesh. Norat echilot, Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech, ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. 
altogether. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Israel et hashabat, la'asot et hashabat, ladrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Israel ot'hit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et hashamayim v'et ha'aretz v'yom hashavi shavat v'inafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua Hamashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha, Bechol Levavcha, Ufkol Nashicha, Uvechol Meodecha. Veheyu hadevarim haale asher nechime zavcha hayom alevavecha. Vashinantam la venecha, vadepardabam beshiftacha, beyetacha, uvlatacha, vederech ushakbika, uvkumika. Ukeshatam la ota yadecha, veheyu la totavolt binenecha, uketatama mozuzo betecha, uvisharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Here, uh, there's just something about corporate worship being together that's just like nothing else. So please join in worship. Dancers, please come up and be a part. Amen. Adonai Elohim, Adonai. 
Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai. Baruch Shem Kebod, Malkuto,
pray it with us. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face. And if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal and will forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land, I'll heal their land, and I'll heal their land, and I'll heal their land. my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my faith. Shabbat Shalom. Please join us for the reading of Parashah Shelach. Chapter 13. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moshe sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of Adonai, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These then were their names, from the tribe of Reuven, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Shimon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Yehuda, Kalev, the son of Yufune, from the tribe of Yisachar, Egal, the son of Yosef, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Binyamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, from the tribe of Yosef, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Satur, the son of Mikael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Navi, the son of Vofsi. From the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Machi. These are the names of the men whom Moshe sent out to spy out the land. But Moshe called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Yehoshua. When Moshe sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what all the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort, then, to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rechov, at Lebo Hamat. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Seshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men, with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of forty days, they proceeded to come to Moshe and to Aharon and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, 
We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, as this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hitti, and the Yabusi, and the Amori are living in the hill country, and the Kanani are living by the sea and by the side of the Yarden. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moshe and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone out in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moshe and Aharon, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is Adonai bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moshe and Aharon fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Yehoshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephune, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If Adonai is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Adonai, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and Adonai is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of Adonai appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Adonai said to Moshe, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moshe said to Adonai, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Adonai, are in the midst of this people, for you, Adonai, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, Because Adonai could not bring his people into the land which he had promised them by the oath, therefore he slaughtered them in the wilderness. But now I pray, let the power of Adonai be great, just as you have declared. Adonai is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So Adonai said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Adonai. 
Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now the Amaleki and the Canaani live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set to the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Aronai spoke to Moshe and to Aharon, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says Aronai, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men according to your complete number from twenty years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Kalev, the son of Yefune, and Yehoshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness." Your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days. For every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years, and you will know my opposition. I, Adonai, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moshe sent to spy out the land, and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before Adonai. But Yehoshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Yefune remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. When Moshe spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are! We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which Adonai has promised. But Moshe said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of Adonai, when it will not succeed? Do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for Adonai is not among you. For the Amaleki and the Canaani will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following Adonai, and Adonai will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai nor Moshe left the camp. Then the Amaleki and the Canaani, who lived in the hill country, came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. Chapter 15 Now Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving to you, then make an offering by fire to Adonai, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering in your appointed times, to make a soothing aroma to Adonai from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present to Adonai a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of oil, and you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one-fourth of a hin, with the burnt offering for the sacrifice for each lamb. Or for a ram you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hin of oil. And for the drink offering you shall offer one-third of a hin of wine as a soothing aroma to Adonai. When you prepare a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for a peace offering to Adonai, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-half of a hin of oil 
and you shall offer as the drink offering one half of a hin of wine, as an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to Adonai. Thus it shall be done for each ox, or for each ram, or for each of the male lambs, or of the goats, according to the number that you prepare, so you shall do for every one according to their number. All who are native shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma, to Adonai. If an alien sojourns with you, or one who may be among you throughout your generations, and he wishes to make an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to Adonai, just as you do, so shall he do. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the alien be before Adonai. There is to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land where I bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to Adonai. Of the first of your dough you shall lift up a cake as an offering, as the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough you shall give to Adonai an offering throughout your generations. But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which Adonai has spoken to Moshe, even all that Adonai has commanded you through Moshe from the day when Adonai gave commandment on and onward throughout your generations, then it shall be, if it is done unintentionally, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bowl for a burnt offering, as a soothing aroma to Adonai, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be forgiven, for it was an error, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to Adonai, and their sin offering before Adonai for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven, with the alien who sojourns among them, for it happened to all the people through error. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before Adonai for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him, that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming Adonai, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of Adonai, and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off, his guilt will be on him. Now while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moshe and Aharon, and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody, because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then Adonai said to Moshe, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as Adonai had commanded Moshe. Adonai also spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at, and remember all the commandments of Adonai, so as to do them, and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments, and be holy to your Elohim. I am Adonai your Elohim, who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your Elohim. I am Adonai your Elohim. Thank you for joining us for the reading of Parashah Shelach. In this parashah, obviously, huge story, lots of things to talk about, but I believe there's two very interesting things that stand out. First, 
This parasha starts off and it gets its name from the Hebrew, which says, Shelach Lecha Anashim. Send out for yourself men. That's what that Hebrew translates as. Why men specifically? Why weren't some women selected to go spy out the land? Well, uh, if you know anything about the differences between men and women, there were some really good reasons why men were selected and not women. As an example, as a man who's surrounded by women, I have six daughters, so I can speak from authority on this. Uh, with my wife and my six daughters, if our family were to go shopping, as an example, um, I'm going to be very direct. I'm going to go find what I need. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to get out of the store. Not so with all the ladies in my household. They're going to go and they're going to look at everything and find everything they possibly can. And they're going to spend hours shopping. I'm going to be very direct. I'm not going to do that. I think that's one of the reasons why men were selected and not women. Second, and related to this, I have a rule in my household with my daughters. I have a word limit. Uh, when my daughters come to tell me a story, I tell them that you must put it in the form of headlines. Now, my daughters really don't know what a newspaper is because newspapers have kind of gone by the, the wayside. But I've explained to them a newspaper would convey the message of the meaning of the story in about seven words or less, generally speaking, in which that's your headline. You give the basic key information, and if people are interested, they will continue to read. And that's my rule with my girls, is that don't come to me and just tell me this story that takes three hours to tell. Come to me and give me a synopsis in as few words as you can. And if I'm interested in that story and interested in hearing more, I will ask questions. Oh, really? How did that happen? Oh, tell me more. In which case they have the green light to go on rambling with me. Okay. I think these are two reasons why. And of course, these are generalities. Not all guys are direct and not all women are ramble on and shop forever. But I think these are two general reasons why it's specific to select men and not to select women. They're, these men then are instructed to go out and spy out the land and bring us back a report. So these men spent 40 days spying out the land. Uh, this was either a very non-guy thing to do or a very guy thing to do, depending upon your perspective. So in other words, they either went and in a very non-guy fashion, um, they spent a whole lot of time, 40 days wandering through the land and meandered the whole time as if uh, I were with my daughter shopping. Or they did a very guy thing. Depends on your perspective. Um, they saw it as a vacation and they went and they just kind of yeah, moseyed on and uh, just had a, a good time while they were doing it. Either way, it took them 40 days to get through the land and spy things out and to, to return. And then as we see that uh, when they return in chapter 13, verse 33, they bring back a very discouraging report. It says there, they also, there also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Um, how do you know what you look like to others? These men thought... We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Thus, they must see us as grasshoppers. How we view ourselves can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You see, in my home, when one of my children comes to me and says that they can't do something, my answer to them is, you're right. If you say and if you think that you can't do something, you're right, you can't. 
However, if you come to me and you say, I want to do this, but I'm having difficulty. I'm trying to do this. May I have help with this? I can do this, but I'm struggling. Then, yes, you're right again. You can do this. The question we should be asking ourselves is not, how do we look in others' eyes? But how do I look in his eyes? He says to us in Colossians 2, verse 10, in him we have been made complete and he is head over all rule and authority. The one who has created everything says that we have been made complete. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says that we are more than conquerors. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he says that we have victory over the world through our faith. Victory over the world. Um, what part of the world isn't included in that? Victory over the world through our faith. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, he says that you are his special possession and that he's chosen you. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says that you are his child. If you think for even a moment that he's not going to protect his children, you have an incomplete view of his love and his power. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for Adonai your Elohim is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. In him, we are secure. In him, we have nothing to fear. In him, we already have the victory. Let's not make the mistake the 10 spies made. Let's instead remind ourselves continually of the promises he has made to us. And may we remember and recall all his goodness, all his faithfulness, and all his loving kindness. And may we walk in victory as we follow him. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, if you'd turn in your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Joshua. And uh, we'll go to chapter 2. We're going to be there in just a moment. <clears throat> this week's Torah portion had to do with... Shlach Laka, which is about sending the spies into the land. And uh, not to recount the whole story, but if you remember, uh, the people came to Moses and they said that uh, they wanted, they thought it was a good idea to send spies into the land and that uh, they would find the best routes to go in and what they were going to be facing and things like that. And of course, Moses thought that was a good idea and the people thought it was a good idea. And so he sent the spies in. And, of course, his mission was to see how good is the land. Um, and, you know, you've got to ask yourself a basic question. Now, God's been telling them all along it's a good land. So why does Moses need spies to go in and see if it's true? Um, you know, either we believe what God has already said or we don't. And since God had been leading us out of Egypt, why do we need the aid of men to figure out how to lead us into the land? And one of the contrasts, that we uh, do from this Torah portion is, <clears throat> was it really that wise of thing they did? Because as you recall, 
When the spies come back, they give a bad report. It melts the hearts of the people. They rebel against the Lord, and just we have all kinds of trouble. And, of course, this was the tenth test in the wilderness, and this is when God pronounced his judgment that they were going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And so uh, we have to wait until we come to this period of time. And this portion in Joshua is about when Joshua will dispatch two men as spies to go in and check out the city of Jericho. Now, the difference between the two is that Moses and the children of Israel were in the south, in what we call the Negev of the land, whereas when Joshua is going to do this, sending spies in, they are going to be east of the Jordan River, above the Dead Sea, and that's, they'll enter the land from the east as opposed to from the south. The, um, that's one of the obvious differences here. And that's the reason why these are tied together, because these are two instances of where spies were sent into the land. But this time, and that's what our portion is about, there's going to be a much, much different result from what took place before. Let me take you to chapter 2 now, and I want to read to you um, the story of the two spies when they go into the city of Jericho. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shechem, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Let me go ahead and just say something very quickly about the word harlot. In the uh, original Hebrew, this word can be translated harlot, but it, it also can be translated innkeeper. Uh, that she was an innkeeper. And amongst the peoples, um, the, uh, if you were a, the reason why this term is assigned harlot is that a harlot in the ancient times would use her own home for doing her business, her services. You know, there wasn't a Motel 6 or a Holiday Inn sitting down on the corner you could go to. So a harlot was a single woman who would invite men into her home, and it was assumed for um, sexual purposes, for sale, uh, kinds of things, and that's how they were structured. But the same word can be mean just innkeeper. Uh, and in this particular case, I take issue with them referring to Rahab as just being a harlot. Uh, I, I prefer the definition that she was an innkeeper because she's an honorable person, as you're getting ready to find out. In fact, she's concerned about her family. Most harlots don't give a hoot about their family. But Rahab is very concerned for her family and their safety, and she seems to be very knowledgeable of current events that are going on in her day. So let's continue. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, uh, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. Okay, before we go any further, uh, let me just kind of lay the, the standard for it. The first time the children of Israel dispatched spies, both the children of Israel and all of the surrounding peoples did not fear the children of Israel. The children of Israel had no confidence 
with regard to what they were about to do. They had this call from God. God had told them to do this. They were always afraid. Uh, and, and it was constantly the lesson to trust the Lord. But this time, they're coming to the Jordan, and they have a reputation. Not only are they the people who crossed the Red Sea, of which the testimony of that has now gotten out, they are also the people that took out a couple of Amorite kings who were fearsome uh, fighters uh, in, the, in the Middle Eastern region. Where they're so they have a reputation of their God is helping them. And, oh, by the way, they are valiant in battle. And so everybody that sees the, the, the great fear is, well, where, where are they going to go next? Where, where are they going to go? I hope they don't come our direction. And that's the reason why you have the king of Jericho acting on this so quickly is he's fearful. Oh, my goodness, if they're sending spies, that means they might be coming my way and coming toward where I'm at. And so rightfully, he was afraid. And, of course, he wants to stop the spies so they can't give a report uh, so that uh, it would prevent you know, a future effort on the part of the children of Israel to come their way. So, beginning at verse uh, 4, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it came about that when it was time to shut the gate at dark, that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. And so she basically creates, almost in real time, a cover for them to protect them. Because she knew what was going to happen. If these men are being accused of spies, they're going to be summarily killed. And she knew that their lives were in danger. They probably would be tortured and and killed. And so she's trying to do everything she can to help them. And as you'll find out here, she's seeking the favor of God. She's actually looking for God's favor. It goes on to say, just a little bit further, she gave the story that, oh, they were here, all right. Yeah, I didn't know where they were from, but they were here. Uh, But, you know, just as we were getting ready to shut the gates, they left. And if they left, and we know Israel is over across the Jordan, well, then obviously they're going to be going toward the Jordan River, and they're going to be going that way. So the pursuers were off in a great big hurry to go chase them down. And she's saying, you know, if you go fast, you probably catch up with them. So she dispatches their pursuers out on the road. Of course, they're not there at all. They're hiding up on the roof And from that. So verse 6, But she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in the order of the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as they were pursuing them, had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, therefore, they lay down. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Isn't that fascinating? How did she know that? She must have heard that one of the things that was being discussed about these children of Israel is that their God had promised the land to them. That that was a very clear testimony about the children of Israel. They are traveling to a land that their God has promised to them. And if you happen to be sitting on that land, you went, oh my goodness, you know, they're going to be coming my way and God's given the land to them. She's heard of this. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. 
and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. If you go back to the original story of the, of the spies, you remember when the spies came back and gave a bad report? The scripture says they melted the hearts of the people. And that's the reason why they disobeyed the Lord. In this case, the Lord is melting the hearts of their enemies in front of them. And you knew that when your hearts got melted, you don't perform very well. You don't do all the right things. And, um, and you don't fight battles very good. And so she's now testifying, this is what we know about you. This is what has preceded you before you have come here. In the original story of the spies, none of that was known. None of it was known that they were going to the promised land. None of it was known that they were a mighty and fearsome people that could do battle. And nobody's hearts was melted. In fact, if you remember, the spies came back and said, oh, we were grasshoppers to them. Their hearts were melted, not the enemies. Uh, from it. Now we see a change. This is because God has now chosen the time for the children of Israel to go in, and the exact opposite is taking place uh, for them. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, which you utterly destroyed. That's where what the Lord has done in the past carries the credential. It carries the testimony of that he's with them and that they're being successful uh, traveling with him. Uh, in the ancient days, uh, a traveler, um, one of the things, the reason why travelers would always be invited in to show hospitality to them was because the traveler, in exchange for receiving a little hospitality, he would tell you the news of where he had been. You know, this is what's, what's happening over there. This, was, this is, uh, is how you got news of what was happening. They had obviously had many travelers come into the land. It's not because they sent somebody over there and watched with the children of Israel. It's because the normal migration of travelers in the land, this is the word they were saying about the children of Israel. This is the word they were saying about all of that had transpired. And if you remember, the Midianites were famous as being travelers and merchants. Well, Jethro was a Midianite, sheik. And they met personally with the children of Israel and with Moses. And so they heard all the testimony and things. So the Midianite traders and travelers, which you would go throughout the Middle East, I'm sure they were circulating the word about this, you know, wherever they went. And those people that lived in Jericho, I'm sure, heard all of that testimony. Uh, verse 12. Wait, wait a minute. Let me give you again. Verse 11, and we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That that was the key testimony that was being given was as to who their God was. Their God is the real God. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. I mean, he's bigger than any of the other gods. Because that was what Yeshua said, the reason, or excuse me, why God said that he was doing all this with, with uh, the children of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, so that the whole world might know the Lord. And here's the evidence that as a result of what God has been doing with the children, the whole world is learning about God. And they're learning uh, the same lesson that Pharaoh learned. You know, Pharaoh, uh, you're a god in Egypt, but I want you to know that the Lord, he's God of the whole world. 
You know, he's over all of it. So here she's giving testimony of what they've heard. And as a result of that testimony, she herself is developing faith and, and trusting and hoping for the best. Um, so let's go here. It says, verse, uh, verse let, me, let me read again at verse 12. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong uh, to them and deliver our lives from death. Because based on what the children of Israel and the God of Israel had done to some previous places, there wasn't any reason why they were going to, he wasn't going to stop from doing it where they were at. And uh, she realizes that's what they're up against. And so she's trying to now negotiate after she's already done good to them, after she's already uh, uh, hid them. She's now saying, can I trade the good thing I've done for you, that I've extended to you, can I trade that to receive mercy from me, my family, and so forth, from what's going to be coming? And um, so then they're going to put together the, the deal, so to speak, the pledges on how this is going to work out, because the, the two spies are going to commit Israel to her safety, and they give some specific conditions on which it's going to be done. Um, verse 14, so the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window from her house, was on the city wall, so that they, she was living on the wall. And he said to them, go to the hill country, lest the pursuers happen upon you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your way. So she basically is telling them, this is how you need to, this is the strategy of how you need to escape now. And don't go toward the river. Don't go toward Jordan. You know, go into the hill country, which is the opposite direction, and, and hide yourself there for three days before you try to make your way back to the Jordan River. And uh, so she's even coaching them on how they can make their escape successful. She wants them to escape because she's made this agreement with them that her life and the life of her family will be spared when the Lord does bring the children of Israel that way. And the men said to her, verse 17, We shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear Unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which uh, you let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father, your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the door of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head and you shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell the business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Uh, now, one says tie, uh, scarlet thread. Another one here says cord. Uh, we're not really quite sure, but we do know it was a prominent display. It could be easily seen by the soldiers as they approach the walls. Now, let me fast forward for just a moment. 
Do you remember the way the Israelites conquered Jordan? They walked around for seven days. They blew the shofars and all the walls fell down, except for one section where Rahab lived. It remained intact. And so when they came, you know, that was the one, don't attack that part. Go for where the walls have fallen down. And that was the signal that was given to the, to the army of Israel uh, on how to deal with that. So we always have a tendency to think, well, all the walls fell down. Not really. Just enough walls fell down to breach the walls so that the Israelites could capture the city, obviously, is what taken place. And for her house, which was obviously elevated, you know, at least to a second story, could have been higher, um, you know, she had this red signal, you know, this uh, cloth, sash, cord, whatever you want to call it, dangling out of the window. And that was the signal to the children of Israel, the army, don't attack that place. Now, she, she was warned, if anybody leaves your house, you walk outside your house, you're, you're subject to being killed. And if you remember the Passover story, you know, if they were in the house under the covering of the blood, they were safe. But if they went outside the house and weren't part of the covering, they were not safe. Uh, and here we have a red, you know, like the blood of the lamb that's dangling. That's, they're under the covering of this red signal, this red sash or cloth or whatever it was that was there as a signal to it. The parallels are striking uh, in this particular portion. Verse 22, and they departed and came to the hill country. And remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they related to him all that had happened to him. And they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given the land into our hands, and all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, have melted away before us. Remember in the first uh, spy story, they came back, they gave, the spies gave their report, and the hearts of the children of Israel melted. This time, the spies come back and they say, no, it's not us. The enemy's hearts have melted, and they are already melted before us as we go in to conquer them. Thus, we have this incredible contrasting story uh, both stories about the sending of spies into the land. One was a man's good idea, and it didn't work out for him. The other one is now we're going the route that God wants them to go, and they're giving full credit to the Lord as to the one who is leading them into the land. He's the one delivering the land to them. It's not the children of Israel delivering, them, delivering the land to themselves. This time it's the Lord doing it, and there's a completely different result. In fact, there's even salvation and deliverance for some people in the land because they're cooperating with the process. Now, I won't go into the detail of it, but just let me go ahead and just tell you, as you continue to read through the Bible, Rahab is in the lineage of the Messiah. She's part of the lineage of the Messiah. So God knew who Rahab was and had big plans for her into her future. And thus, we were able to integrate not only what God was doing with the children of Israel, but with other people he knew. 
other people he cared for, and he could put the two of them together and get them to work together. One of the things that uh, after you've lived uh, a goodly number of years and you've been walking with the Lord, one of the things you begin to note is all the different people that God has put in your path. All the different people that you've met or had a relationship with or worked with or whatever. And eventually, if you're really wise and tuned in spiritually, you'll be able to look back and see, oh my goodness, this was all part of God's plan. This is how this all worked out and how it all transpired. And it's part of... uh, Part of becoming wise under the Lord's ways, confidence building in the Lord to be able to trust uh, even more for the Lord as the, as the days go on. You need to see these things along the way and see how God's hand was on this. This is a beautiful story. God's hand was on the protection of those two spies, but God's hand was on Rahab too. And we see the two stories come together uh, in the midst of a bigger context of the children of Israel coming in and receiving the promised land from the Lord. And there's a big story going on here, you know, in the world. The Lord's dealing with his enemies and we're going to establish the kingdom. But there's all these other little stories about people like you and me. And we are part of that great story. We're part of that just like they are part of it here as well. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would now turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 3. Hold your finger at verse 7, where our Brit Hadashah readings will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, that we can uh, open up your word and your instruction. Father, I pray that uh, it would be like daily bread, that it would nourish us uh, each and every time that we open it up. Uh, Father, we affirm the covenant that we have with you every time that we uh, hold our Bibles, open your word. And so, Father, we thank you for the covenant that you have with us. And we pray that this connection would be made this week and would minister to us, strengthen us, edify us in our most holy faith in all the things that we do. We love you, bless you, and thank you for this time once again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our Torah portion this week is Shalach, which is, of course, the well-known Torah portion in which the children of Israel, after leaving Mount Sinai, they go to the promised land, or to the edge of the promised land, I should say, and they, instead of following the heed of the Lord to say, go and take the promised land, he's given it to them for an inheritance after all, they get the bright idea to send in some spies. Let's go spy out the land. Let's go take a look. Let's go uh, see what it's like before we go. Um, and this, of course, had dire consequences for the entire camp, the entire uh, group of the children of Israel. And the punishment, of course, comes that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This is, um, of course, one of those tragic stories of the Bible that uh, every time you open it up and you go to read it, you know, you you sort of, I kind of have the weird thought in the back of my mind where it's like, uh, maybe it'll be different this time. But, of course, it never is. And so here we have, of course, the judgment that goes upon the children of Israel, this generation of of the children of Israel that um, reject the promised land. 
that uh, do uh, not uh, accept the inheritance, the gift that has been given to them by God. They, get, they act out of fear for the fact that there are giants in the land, that there are um, uh, that it would, there's a great number of people there and that it would be, it's a hard-fought battle. Here's the thing is, is that God never said that taking the promised land was not going to be a fight or it was not going to be easy. He just said that we would do it. And so that's actually the testimony of entering into the promised land in all things uh, that um, back 40 years later, when the children of Israel do take the promised land, they still have to fight the same battles they would have had to fight, fight, fight 40 years earlier. It's just a matter of that then we have a younger generation, a generation that is uh, following the words of the Lord, and that they are going to be the ones that are going to take the promised land. These are the children, of course, of the generation that fell in the wilderness. And, of course, that generation, they made, they rejected the promised land out of fear for their children, when, in truth of fact, it was their children that did take the promised land. This is this sort of tragic story to try and figure out what is going on in the hearts of the people, in the hearts of Israel. We need to ensure that when we read these stories of these terrible, terrible mistakes that are made by, uh, by the children of Israel, we have several of them in the Torah, the golden calf, one of them. This one is one of them. Next week, we'll talk about the rebellion of Korah. We'll talk about that one. And we have to learn how to not make that same mistake. How do we ensure that we do not commit the same sin, reject the gifts and the promises of God the way that generation did? That is for our edification to learn how do we not do that again. So with that said, I hope that the words and the encouragement that comes from this teaching would help to stir in our hearts to maybe listen to a different spirit than perhaps the spirit of the ten spies that... Um, that, that gave the bad report of the promised land and, of course, uh, stirred in the hearts of all the people a fear of entering the promised land. I've t brought you here to Hebrews chapter 3, which is the traditional reading uh, for this portion, which specifically talks about kind of the, the move of the spirit and, and what's going on in the hearts of the people and what was going on in the, in the hearts of the wicked generation that did fall in the, promise, in the wilderness, not the promised land. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Not with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear, and that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
This speaks to, I I really love the writer of Hebrews talking about truly going into the hearts of the people of that generation that rejected the promised land. There's a couple of things that he, uh, that is written here that I really uh, like. I really like to, to bring out and point out. He recognizes here that it was an evil heart of unbelief that was inside of them. An evil heart. That means there's something inside, some spirit, some influence that is inside that, that, that was stirring their emotions that is not supposed to be there, that is evil, that is the opposite of God, the opposite of the Holy Spirit, and that it manifests as unbelief. Unbelief. See, that's what the enemy is always trying to do and cause us to think in our minds and in our hearts, causing us to feel and to question Should we really believe or trust the words that God has said? Is it really going to happen that way? Like I said before, when God said, go take the promised land. And then you sit there and you're like, okay, if I believe that, then I'm going to go take the promised land. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care if I get injured in the process. I don't care if, um, if, if if it takes a long period of time before I inherit the promised land. But if I believe that I will take the promised land, then I follow him. I obey what God has said. You got to you might read between the lines and you might see you're like, okay, well, uh, he didn't say it wasn't going to be hard. Didn't say that what might not take a little might take a little while. He didn't say any of those things. But if I dwell on what God didn't say, then that causes me to question the belief of God. See, what, what I'm talking about here is this, adding to what God has said. This is what gets us in trouble. This is what got the woman in trouble with the serpent back in the garden. Remember what the serpent said? He said, it's like, oh, is it true that you cannot eat of any of the trees? That you, you cannot eat of it or touch it. You, I've, anytime that you ever heard that teaching, I, I hope that the teacher would bring out the fact that the Lord did not tell Adam that he couldn't touch it said he couldn't eat it. So what did the serpent do? He added to the word. And adding to the word caused a different thought process in the woman and said, and so she went, grabbed it, touched it, and you're like, oh, I'm fine. You're right. Well, then maybe I can eat it. When, no, she should have known that you could touch it. Yeah, that's not going to I'm still not going to eat it because I'm going to obey the Lord. But adding to the word causes the confusion. And see, that's exactly what one might think and one might do when God has given you a promise and said, here, this is what you are going to do. You are going to uh, work hard labor and I'm going to pour out blessings uh, upon you. I'm going to pour out these blessings. These are what you are going to receive. Now, if you think about it, well, the Lord said, did the Lord say how long it was going to take? No. Did he say how hard it was going to be? Truly how hard it was going to be? No. But if I add to what God had said and said, well, it's going to be hard, it's going to take long, but then God's going to receive the blessings. Oh, man, that sounds really difficult. I think I might, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to do that. And then you start to question it, and then you don't believe God. Man, if it's that hard, I don't think I can take it. I don't think I will receive that blessing. If, it, if, if, if uh, my patience is going to run thin, I'm not, it, it's going to take too long, so I guess I'm really not going to get it. That's you not believing God because of the deceit of the enemy. Something that gets stirred inside of you. Something that comes from some spirit that is not of the Lord. That it comes from the, the, from the father of lies. From the adversary. From Satan. Hasatan. 
that tells you and plants that seed inside of you that grows into a root of bitterness, an evil heart of unbelief, and that's what causes you to not obey God. We need to stop reading between the lines when we're talking about God's promises to us. Now, when God has given us commandments to follow, and we then have to figure out, okay, what are the standards and conditions of following that commandment? How do we follow that commandment? That's the part where, you know, where we try to make a good uh, decision, a good righteous judgment on how to keep the commandments of God, taking influence from perhaps what the rabbis have said for many years, perhaps what the Lord would stir in your hearts with prayer, and that's how you keep the commandments of God. And I, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm I'm referring to, you know, adding to the the commandments of God or reading between the lines because sometimes we have to figure out how to follow God. But ultimately, when we're talking about his promises that he has given to us, we then can't fall into the trap of disbelief, of worry, of concern, of anxiety, of depression that would then cause us to not believe God. That is what happened to the generation that fell in the wilderness. That is where that heart of unbelief came. Here in the, uh, here in the passage, I, I actually, I, as I was reading it, I kind of said it incorrectly as a wrong, as I, when I was reading the part about they always go astray in their heart. And I, as I was reading, I almost said hearts. And it's like, but the thing is correctly in the scripture where it says it was one heart that they were actually following. See, that was how one idea, one spirit could influence the entire congregation of Israel was because they were operating with one heart. And see, that's actually what God has called us to do. In fact, in the prophets, many times, it talks about that I will put in them, the children of Israel, or in their descendants, I will put in them a new heart or a good heart, a singular, um, uh, a singular influence that will be a part of all people. See, that's what God calls us to do as a people who follow him. We seek after the heart of God, which is a singular heart that we are intending to follow. And see, when a whole generation turns away from the Lord, that's because they are all listening to one single influence as well, which is that negative influence, an evil heart, an evil spirit that is leading them astray. This is how deceit can come amongst a huge multitude of people. This is why it's so critical for leadership to make sure they are held to a higher standard when they are doing teaching, because often the people who are listening are all listening of one heart. They're all tuned in. If you, if you misspeak, if you say something incorrect or do not represent the Lord or his word correctly, you can turn an entire mass group of people away from the Lord. You can't just sit there and trust, well, oh, they, 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 each individual person knows what I was trying to say. No, the people turn and they're influenced in that way. So that's something we have to be very mindful of. The influence that each and every one of us have when we can ever speak to a multitude of people, we have to make sure that what we are saying is a true and righteous representation of the word of God. It's like a prophet who is speaking the word of God. But if they speak the word of God incorrectly, if they don't recount what God had said, if they add their opinion to, the, uh, to what God had said, if they leave a part of what God said out, like, ooh, Lord, that's kind of harsh. I'm going to hold that part back, and I'm only going to give them the sugar-coated part. 
The pro- that is a prophet. That is a false prophet. That is a prophet who is not representing God, not speaking the whole word of God. And that's a word of wisdom and a word of counsel to anyone with the influence to speak into the lives of brethren or perhaps even a multitude of brethren. All of these things all work together as to what caused the rebellion, as to what caused the children of Israel to reject the promised land. In all of these things, it was all about sin. It was all, it was, it was about the deceitfulness of sin. I'm sorry, that it's that sin is sometimes influenced and caused by a lie, by a lie that comes from the enemy. Now, when it comes to the bad report that the, um, that the spies gave, one of the things when you go and interpret that is that where was the lie? What, did they lie that there were really giants in the land? Actually, there, it's, it's uh, believed that that was actually probably truthful, that it was the whole children of Israel went in and wiped out kingdoms of actually that there were people that were much larger than the average human being, and that that was actually part of the things that they, you know, was, was the report really a lie, or was perhaps the way the truth was represented was actually the lie? And that's what can happen when it comes to false testimony is that that's when that sometimes that influential spirit, when even speaking truth, sometimes can give what is called a half-truth. It's half-true. You can't ever say that it's not completely false. But then it's because what the spies actually said is, there's giants in the land, and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they were, and, and, and we, we will surely perish if we have to go, go and fight them. See, that's the extra stuff that's added to the report that causes the rebellion, that causes the sadness, causes the unbelief that we cannot trust that the Lord will be with us and that we will be able to take the promised land. So with that said, let's go to John chapter 8. This is a conversation that was happening between uh, the Messiah and some Pharisees. He was often talking to, uh, to, to some Pharisees here. And this is talking about the witness of the Messiah. See, because what they were, what, what one of the issues that they took with the Messiah is, of course, is that it's all like, oh, well, what you, you, you are witnessing of yourself that you are saying these things. But then the Messiah, of course, is turning it on the fact that they are, um, that, uh, <laughs> That they are trying to trip him up at the fact that he cannot witness of himself. But then what the Messiah, of course, is turning is the fact that it is his father who sent him that witnesses of him and the work of the Messiah. This conversation goes on for a little while. And then what the Messiah turns to the Jews who he's talking to and he starts sort of putting it back on them. That it's all like, who is it that witnesses of you? Who is it that influences you in everything that you say and everything that you do? If we move ahead to verse, um, verse 42 of, the, of this chapter. Actually, I'm sorry. Let's go, back to, um, let's go back to verse 37 where it's talking about uh, that they are talking to, that the Messiah is talking to the Jews, and he says this to them. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and that you do what you have seen with your father. 
And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Yeshua said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, that is God. And then this is when the Messiah really pointed it to him. Yeshua said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, which of you convicts me of sin. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And then what follows after is they accuse the Messiah of having a demon in which he then continues on to argue some of the some of that point. The thing I want to home in on is this, is that he is pointing to them that they are the children of the adversary. They are the children of Satan because they are the ones who they do the bidding of him because he is the father of lies. Because the Messiah, when he came and he spoke, he spoke truth. He spoke truth of God. He spoke truth of his word. And if someone is of God, of the same spirit, of the same heart of the Holy Spirit, then when they heard these things, they would sense the truth. They would, they would, they would take it to heart. They would know the Messiah is speaking truthfully of the Lord, of God. But because their heart is turned away from God, because instead they have greed in their heart, they have deceit in their heart, what they, that's why they reject the Messiah. That's why they reject what he's saying. That's why they seek to kill him for just speaking the truth. That's what, and, and that's really where we get to the point of when people don't believe what God has said, why? Why do they not believe? You can say every right thing. You can say everything correctly, yet they still do not turn their heart to God. Why? Because their heart is tur turned to something else. Their heart believes in something else. You have to abolish what they believe in. You have to, you, you have to remove that entirely because the God, God and his spirit cannot dwell in the same place as something that is unclean, like an unclean spirit or unclean influence. His spirit cannot dwell in there. And so that's why these people, and it's, it, gets, it boils all the way down to the heart of the matter, the heart of the people that are listening to the words. Well, you can say all the right things. This is, this is really the lesson to, to be had for all of us in the, those that have a belief in Yeshua, those that have a, a following of Torah, we can sit here and we can quote scripture all day long. We don't have to form our own opinion. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we don't have to add our own influence, our own testimony. We can sit here and we can sit across the table from somebody who does not believe and we can speak nothing but truth, yet they still reject it. That you can say, uh, somebody can say, oh, well, yeah, the such and such is done away with and I believe in, in, in this and this and this. And it's all like, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, this and this. 
and, and they might be a believer in the Bible and profess to be a believer in God, yet they will reject the very quote that you give from the Scripture. When, when you, if you want to talk about just those that say that Yeshua came to abolish the law and the prophets, and you take them to Matthew chapter 7, and you say, no, uh, I did not come to abolish but to fulfill, and, or I think that's in Matthew chapter 5. And so then it's like they will reject the very words of the Messiah that said that. I mean, you're quoting scripture, you're quoting the words of the Messiah, and they're like, yeah, well, but the apostle Paul came and did this and changed all these things here. And it's all like, what? You have to sit there, step back, shake your head and say, what in the world spirit are they following? I mean, what are they reading? Like they're not even reading this. Are they reading the same Bible? Are they reading the same words? This is the lesson for us. Their heart is tuned to a different spirit. They do not have, they are not of God here from the Holy Spirit to let these words and this truth penetrate them for them to believe. Instead, they seek to argue. And this is sort of the, um, this is what we have to um, relegate ourselves to sometimes is that we will find people that we truly wish to minister to. We truly wish to share the testimony and the love of God with them, yet they will reject it. You can say all the right things, you, all the right things. All the, you, in fact, you, you may have had a history of leading somebody to the Lord. You can come and you walk them through the, the sinner's prayer. You walk them through all these things. You, you share all the key verses and things, and their heart just pours open, and, and, and the Lord just fills it with, with his spirit, and they become a follower and a believer, or they start learning to keep Torah, and they start just living uh, the life of a believer with the testimony of the word of God. And then you can take everything you did with that person. You can say exactly the same things in the exact same way, and yet this person will reject it. That is why we have to learn sometimes that we do not war against flesh and blood. We war against powers and principalities. We war against the powers of darkness. We war against an idea that we cannot fight with swords and shields. And in fact, you can sometimes even the words that you say, there's so much of a boundary put up that the enemy has had a field day in the heart of some people that then they outright reject even truth that has sometimes ministered to others. That's what we have to recognize sometimes in the hearts of other people. I'm sorry to say that that generation that left Egypt, they were never going to make it to the promised land. It was only a matter of time before one thing outright rejected, and that's what it was. It was 10 times they put the Lord to the test in the wilderness. They, re, they, they rebelled, they got bitter, they cried out to God, they, they blamed Moses left and right on all different matters of things, whether it was at the Red Sea or whether it was the bitter waters of Mara or it was they were hungry and then they got manna and then they wanted to store the manna and then they shouldn't have done that. And then you had the water uh, from the rock that they rebelled and said they were thirsty before they got the water. And, they re and the golden calf and then the graves of craving and then at Taborah and all these things. And it was ten times that they put God to the test. Their hearts were never going to make it there. And it was only after the 10th time, the 10th test of rejecting the very gift that God was giving to them was when God said, look, it's, it's not going to happen. It's, just, it's not going to work. Their hearts are not ready. Their hearts were not soft enough to receive the word. They were listening to the father of lies. That generation was not ready for the promised land. 
So how do we become the generation that is ready for the promised land? How do we turn our hearts to God and not reject when truth is spoken to us? We have to understand that this is a heart matter. This is a spiritual matter. We have to understand that it's through the power of prayer. It's through the power of words that we are combating an idea that we have to know that we are following the Lord and we are not listening to half-truths. We are not listening to lies or deceit that comes from the enemy because that's actually what it is, is there are other teachers that are out there in the world that are constantly telling us and speaking certain things to us that are these half-truths, and then they put these ideas in our head, and then we realize we're following after men and not after God, men who actually have influence. Not that they are demon-possessed, but that they have been influenced by a spirit that is not of the Lord. This is the war that we are fighting. This is what we have to recognize is the issue. So for us individually, we have to put ourselves in check. We have to do that inward thinking and look into our hearts and say, are we have the, do we have the heart of a person who rejects God and doesn't believe him and instead gets consumed by the anxiety and the frustrations and all the lies that the world has to tell us? Or are we instead going to live according to the word of God, not sway to the right or to the left, but take the narrow path straight to the promised land? That is the generation we need to be. Those are the things we need to learn and not be listening to the father of, father of lies. In the Torah portion, after, the, after they reject the promised land, after the judgment comes that they, that they will wander in the, in, the world for, or in the wilderness for 40 years and they won't see the promised land, they're turned away. And then there's a series of commandments and instructions that are given to us at the end of our Torah portion. Certain instructions that talk about when the generation does enter into the land, there's some offerings that need to be given. Basically, offerings on behalf of the fact of this sin was committed, and so that we need to then make restitution for the sins of this generation that had been committed. It also talks about not having any, that no person should act presumptuously before the Lord, and that we need to follow him accordingly. Now, one of the other things is, is that still in the hearts of the people, there still was sin within the camp, of course. And we have a story, a tragic story from our Torah portion about a man who went to go and gather uh, sticks on the Sabbath. At the end of chapter 15 of Numbers, this is, this is after we've already made these terrible mistakes. This is after the children of Israel tried to take the promised land, even after they rejected it. The Lord didn't go with them, and they got beaten back out of the promised land and had to end up back in the wilderness. And then still there's a man, and this goes to show the heart of the people. In the hearts of the people, there was one man with the wrong heart, and he, and, and he, he got himself caught. He went to go gather sticks on the Sabbath. Now, one might say, oh, wait, well, you know, that sounds like a household need on the Sabbath. That sounds like an ox in the ditch, right? Uh, no. When you go to gather sticks, what he was intending to do was, of course, kindle a fire, which is, of course, a direct commandment of not to do on the Sabbath. And he violated this commandment willfully, defiantly. And the penalty for him, of course, was that he would be stoned because of this defiance of the Sabbath. Now what I want to go is I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 14, where the Messiah himself was accused of doing something he shouldn't have done on the Sabbath. But one of the things I want to take the opportunity to do is to remind us of what the Sabbath is for, what the commandments of God are for. 
It's for our benefit. It's for our edification. And the whole thing is it is not, uh, it is not wrong to do good on the Sabbath. So chapter 14 of Luke, it says this. Now it happened as he, Yeshua, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. And they watched him closely and beside and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, which is some kind of um, ailment, physical ailment of the skin. Some people have thought it's actually slightly related to leprosy, but it's, they believe that it's some, a retention of water. So the person had a disfigured face or they didn't look, uh, they didn't look seemly uh, in the course of um, their life. And so he had dropsy and Yeshua answered and spoke to the lawyers of the Pharisees and said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and he healed him and let him go. And then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. This is because what he was teaching was so the truth of what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath is about doing good. The Sabbath is about um, loosening the bonds of wickedness to lighten the load. Remember, it says, yeah, don't work your don't don't work your oxen or your servants or anything. So you loosen the yoke, you lighten the load, you give everybody a day off because that is what truly what the Sabbath is supposed to be a delight to all. And so then when it comes to somebody who's in need of healing, of course, you heal on this. You, you, you do that. You do good for someone. Yet the Pharisees, they had so many of these rules and so many of these things about what you can and can't do on Sabbath. That's because they, of course, sort of followed after the model and the story that's in our Torah portion. Look, this man was going and gathering sticks on the Sabbath. If you're going and doing anything like that, then you're supposed to be stoned. So to ensure that we're not going to be stoned, we're going to put all of these other rules and stipulations. We're going to add all of these other things to the commandments of the Sabbath. So that then when we then see even somebody doing good on the Sabbath, we stop them and we question them. We keep them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let's go to John chapter 5. This is a great example of this. This is one of my favorite uh, examples of, you know, the, the, um, the people uh, the, of the Pharisees and their thought process by not recognizing what the power of God was. John chapter 5. I'm sure many people have heard this story. Let me read here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well. And whatever disease he had, now, and now a certain man there, uh, there was who had an infirmity 38 years. And Yeshua saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered and said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming... Another steps down before me. Yeshua said to him, rise, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And the day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered to him, who made you well and said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, 
Who was the man that said it to you? Take up your bed and walk. But the, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Yeshua had withdrawn, and a multitude was in that place. They, didn't, they weren't able to tell. But the whole idea behind this story is this, is what is it that gets in the way in the thought process or the thinking of someone that instead of looking at this man who has had an infirmity for 38 years, this man was probably well known in the community of who he was. And suddenly he's up, he's walking, he's carrying his bed. And the only thing they have to say is it's unlawful to carry your bed on Sabbath rather than the fact that, Oh my gosh, who healed you? How did you be? How were you healed? See, this whole thing is is out, out of disbelief that we have paid more attention to the things that have been added to the word, added to the commandments of God, as opposed to, and we, it, it's like putting blinders on to then not be able to see the miracles of what God has already done and is doing and is capable of doing. Those blinders go on and you can't see any of it. Children of Israel, they saw the seas part. They saw God speak. They heard God speak from the mountain. They saw all of these miracles happen. They saw waters turn, turn to bitter waters, turn to sweet. They saw water come out of a rock. They see bread fall from heaven every single morning. And then a couple of people say, oh, it's, it's too hard to go into the promised land. And they reject it. I mean, you've got to have some, you, you got to have something in your heart that just prevents you from seeing the goodness and the greatness that God is able to do and that, what God is doing. And the Pharisees here didn't see that as well. It is not unlawful to heal on the Sabbath or to do good. And that is because the hearts of some of these people are just stirred against the Lord. It's an evil heart of unbelief, as the book of Hebrews said, that is in the hearts of some of these people. Sometimes we need to recognize it. Rather than calling it out when we see people rejecting God or rejecting truth that, we've, that is spoken from the word, we simply need to recognize and know it's like, look, okay, this is where that person is at. This is what they're struggling with. They're struggling with the same mistakes of the Pharisees of the first century and the children of Israel in the wilderness before entering the promised land. They're struggling with the same things. Now, perhaps through teaching and instruction, somebody can turn their heart around, turn it back to the Lord, perhaps even by recognizing some of these things and this rebellion that they have in their heart against the word of God. And maybe with each person, it's a case-by-case basis that perhaps through uh, discipleship, through instruction, somebody can change those things around. But sometimes those people have such a hard heart, it truly is going to take an act of God, a work of his Holy Spirit that's going to change that, the heart of that person. We need to understand the battle that we're fighting sometimes. And that's what we need to recognize from this story and from this instruction. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your teaching and your instruction. Father, for the tragic story that we, uh, that we get to read today um, on this Sabbath, talking about the children of Israel rejecting you, rejecting the land. Father, as, as much as it, it pains uh, us to read these words, Father, we know that it is necessary for our edification so that we might have a heart that is filled with your Holy Spirit and not the spirit of anything else. That our hearts are, are, are turned to you, that we follow you, that we believe your word when it is spoken to us, and that we do not believe the father of lies. We do not believe those that add to the scripture or the word of God. We do not believe those that have twisted your word 
to, for, for their own benefit, for their own greed. Father, we reject those things, Lord, and those spirits, Father. And Father, I pray that you would pour out your, only your spirit upon us in our hearts. Set, let us set ourselves aside, Lord. Our own personal thoughts, emotions, spirits, Lord, set those things aside so that we then follow you with our whole heart. May, Father, may we have a different spirit, a spirit like the one of Caleb and the one of Joshua, the two spies that gave the good report, that encouraged the people that they still to not reject God. So, Father, I pray that you would turn our hearts to be like them, to have a different spirit than that which is in the world. We bless you and we thank you for this time and this instruction. We thank you for all of these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom.